Life Audio. Hey, it's time for Cynthia Garrett's Girl Club. I'm Cynthia Garrett, and I will be right with you in just a moment after this. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with the King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. It's me, Cynthia Garrett, and welcome to Cynthia Garrett's Girl Club. You know where you are. This is the place where real girls have real talk about real issues while always seeking to walk in real faith. And this is for the guys, too. This week is kind of a special week because I want to share something with you from the series that launched me in ministry on TBN around the world. This is a clip from my series, The London Sessions with Cynthia Garrett. I hope you'll enjoy it, and you can check more of the London Sessions out at CynthiaGarrett.org. So enjoy today's broadcast. Now I'm really excited to have two women today who are both literal powerhouses of experience on this issue. Joining me on today's session is Ruth Awagbadi, founder of Magnify Magazine, and Carrie Lloyd, who's a journalist, a pastor at Bethel in California. We love Bethel, and author of The Virgin Monologues. So we went out to the streets of London, and we asked the question, should a girl save sex for marriage? No, I don't think that's um, a commitment that has to wait if you're in a stable and committed relationship. I do believe that it's something that should be be within a relationship, um, but not necessarily marriage. I think it's up to herself. If she feels ready, then it's no big deal. You know what? I think that's her prerogative up to the girl. You shouldn't feel like you have to wait until a, a ring's put on your finger. I personally don't think you need to have to wait necessarily in order to know that they're the one. Or... I think people that believe in that, I think it's okay, um, but I don't think that the same rule applies to everyone. I think in this day and age it's uh, quite impossible. No. Hell no. Have sex as many men as possible. <laughs> Oh, it's so sad. It's what I call passionately wrong. (laughs) You know what I mean? Wrong with the passion. But that's, I mean, but that's where it is. Yeah. And and honestly, I'm not so sure that BC, I was a lot different BC before Christ. Sure. 
I'm not sure that I was a lot different. I, I think I had some understanding of the fact that, you know, it, it, you shouldn't be so brazen and just run rampant with it. But I mean, honestly, I have to call even us as Christians. I think there's a lot of Christians who actually think, well, we're in love, so it's okay, you know. And honestly, the damage that you do to your soul, and, and it's, it's the biggest, to me, it's the biggest deception that we, we fall into, you know. And I know, Carrie, I know you have tons to say about this. Yeah, I've been, I've been that Christian that justified why it's okay to be in a relationship before marriage. And, but obviously, it's fun to have a relationship with marriage. But I was justifying why it was okay to have sex with them. So I had, three, I had three sexual relationships. One of them was when I was an atheist. The other two were actually when I was a Christian. I believed, but I, I didn't really have much of a relationship with the Lord. So here's the thing. The Bible says that um, anything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. So for me, I'm like, yeah, that's what we're playing with. That's how we're playing with it. Okay, well, we're kind of playing with the grace movement as well in the sense of yeah, totally. the Lord loves me no matter what, which is true. But I think there's something we kind of miss out on if we're going to try and pick up the Bible and put down what we don't want to believe in. We start having this cafeteria lifestyle with it that you just actually don't get any of the joy from having faith in the first place. We are supposed to be countercultural. So now we're kind of adjusting to what the rest of society wants. Honestly, choosing to be pure... It's sometimes quite lonely, and that's why we're starting to settle down the boundaries and, and settle for a different lifestyle. And also, we're wired with a desire to have sex. That is a real thing. It's not a shameful thing. That's how we were created. But how we're using it is obviously how we start to miscontextualize using it. There are lots of longings, though. The longing to be significant. Yeah. You know, the longing for, for partnership, the longing for love. But the reality is that, you know, God created us with these longings or these desires, but they're supposed to be satisfied in him until he gives you the release, you know, in other areas, especially in, in this one. You know, and I, I didn't realize the damage I did to my soul and my heart. I mean, honestly, like, you know, girls, whether you believe or don't believe out there um, really does not, doesn't matter. Because I, I always say, you know, the, the, the proof is in the pudding. I tried it by the world's definition. And I had a girlfriend look at me at one point and it was hilarious. And she, you know, I'm talking to her and I was justifying this, yet another relationship. And, you know, and he loved me and blah, blah, blah. And she, and she just kind of looked at me and she said, really, really? So how's that working for you? Yeah. And really my answer was, well, it's really not working for me to be quite frank. So, so that's when I started, started to really realize it's time to do this God's way. I mean, I've tried it my way. Try it God's way. And it's so much more powerful. And the damage that you do and the luggage you bring into your marriage when God does send you mm. your husband. And I know that sounds so nebulous to a lot of people waiting for God to send me my husband. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I think you kind of think you, the enemy plays with that. You know, it's never going to happen. It's never. But that's a lie also. I did, I did want to talk to you both about um, just the power of celibacy. Mm. And how it, how what how do you feel? Just the power of it, you know, the confidence that it gives you, making the choice to wait until you're married. I think in so many other areas of my life, I've seen how doing it God's way, just the blessings 
I just couldn't even imagine had I done it my way. And so for me, with celibacy, that's how I've kind of always seen it, not just for my parents' marriage, but other marriages around me, that actually when you wait, and when you wait for the right person that God has brought you, and within the context that you know this is a loving and stable relationship and actually this person isn't going away next week and suddenly going to say, actually, I've changed my mind. Um, and I think for me, I'm such an emotional person that I know that kind of even when I develop a crush on somebody, it's not just like, oh, next week I forget about it. I really kind of <laughs> emotionally get involved. And yeah. so for me, I've always seen just even with that little bit that giving myself in a way that God hasn't intended for the right time, the damage that it would do to me, I probably... <laughs> Just, yeah, my personality as well. I probably wouldn't function that well. So, yeah, both from a spiritual and practical, but also looking at the way that God has blessed marriages around me when people have waited for that right time and, yeah, been able to enjoy it for a lifetime. I know for me, I certainly have better discernment on guys. Not being physical and sexually active with them means that I'm not actually becoming codependent with them. There is actually a science behind this whole thing. I think what can happen is the secular world, look at this going, the Lord doesn't want you to do it. Actually, no... He's a, he's, it's a father telling his, his kids to look after their heart, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. And so we're in this place of, I, I'm having these sexual relationships. Every breakup I'm going through, I'm pretty much tearing my fabric curtains in my living room because I'm going through so much heartbreak. And all after about three of these relationships, I slowly get the link between purity and freedom. I'm a lot more liberated now as a celibate. I hate that word, though. It's just not cool. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like, what is, can't they get a better word can for this? Just, yeah, like a prettier one. Not yes. something. But um, I, I just, I don't know. I make better decisions. There's this great book called Hook that wasn't, I don't think it's been written by Christians, but it's a, it's a science behind the, the neurology of our brains when we're in sexual active relationships and how our brains were actually wired for long-term committed relationships. I think the reason why the Lord doesn't want us to do it is... It's supposed to be something with, with, it's supposed to be so vulnerable and so powerful and so bonding that I'm not expecting the guy to leave. Like, you're going to fight for each other forever and persevere with one person. That's thanks to heaven. That's not thanks to romantic comedies or being idealistic. That is part of our design. And so when I got my secular mates and my atheist mates going, what it's not really working out for you, though, this thing, is it? Because you haven't got your husband, you haven't got... And I'm like, no, but that's not the point. The point is I make much better decisions in my relationships when I'm dating. I have a much better discernment. I'm not trying to hold on to them because, like you were saying, you just get so emotionally attached. Well, and we're designed to get emotionally attached. Yeah. And that's what amazes me about the whole, you know, oh, well, we just hook up or, oh, we just... You know, you hear this vernacular today, and to me it's like... You, that's such a lie. Yeah. You, we, we aren't designed to just hook up. We, it, it doesn't work that way, you know, and it, it's got to be so deep because, you know, even Paul says, you know, what is the, the becoming one, yeah. you know, when, when he gives so many admonitions about, you know, joining yourself with a prostitute or join, you're becoming one with the person, right. you know, you're taking in everything that is them. So if you've taken in everything that is someone else's husband and her husband and her husband, but I mean, where are you left at the end of this process, you know? And I think really and truly for women anyway, it's just that we just really want to be loved and affirmed. And so it sort of goes to that old saying, um, what is it? Women use uh, sex for love and men use love for sex. Right. 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 So it's like this game that, you know, really, it's not really that fulfilling. You know, I think about the title of your book, the the Virgin Monologues, right? And 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 it's just like, why is 
our monologue anything but virginal in the world today? Right. Is it truly just that it's not hip or cool? I think a lot of it is that, to be honest with you. We're going back to the trends again. We're going back to being easily influenced by crowd culture, you know. And crowd culture never really thinks about the intentions, the moral intentions. Like, all the highs we get in sex or the power moves that men play when they rape people or sexually abuse people. And obviously, women have abused men too, so I'm not trying to just put it on a class gender, but the enemy can only distort stuff. He can't create it. So the creation that the Lord made in regards to sex and the connection and the bonding that it was supposed to have, the enemy comes in because he hates us. He's going to do everything to try and tear us down. And so what I often see when I've been counseling people in sex trafficking and, and these kind of case scenarios the, the most heartbreaking thing is watching women who've, who've been the victims of that, they're the ones that carry the shame. Totally. And so they don't know how to relate to sex in a, in a beautiful, fun, joyful, awesome, connective way after, until a lot of this process. So a lot of the, the first thing I start to do with these women is trying to get rid of all of the shame. you got to get rid of the shame. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's, you know, to think that our attitude and the attitude on the streets in the world today about sex don't directly contribute to why there's something like sex trafficking, yeah. to why, you know, you know, pornography and, you know, just, we've got this brilliant young filmmaker in the States named um, Benjamin Nolo, and Benjamin's ministry is called Exodus Cry, and Benjamin's made a film called Nefarious, his first film. You have to watch this film. If you have not seen Nefarious, you have to watch it. Because he, he, you know, he starts out this journey um, to go and look at sex trafficking around the world. You know, we think it's a problem that's over there, mm-hmm. right? It's not us. It's over there somewhere. Well, you know, interestingly enough, it circled all the way right back to legalized prostitution in Las Vegas. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. It's right here. And it's not necessarily sex trafficking, which is one extreme. Yeah. It's pornography. Yeah. It's, 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 you know, pay-per-view, what we yeah. buy and allow into our homes. It's the choices that we make, what we decide is okay sexually in magazines or on television shows. How do, you, how do you deal with, you know, for example, your peer group? Are they all of like mind? Or are you always sort of uh, the one kind of being the leader and explaining? I think um, definitely within like my closest friends I've grown up with, none of them are Christian. And everyone kind of has a very similar attitude to that woman, like have as much sex as you can get and it doesn't really affect ah, me. Okay, so you are um, like and so one thing kind of working in media and publishing, what I've seen as well is, if you, especially if you look at female musicians, there's this whole rise towards women owning their sexuality and being empowered by being able to display your sexuality all over the place. Um, and actually, I think as Christians, as you say, we're called to be countercultural. And I've really, you know, we've been looking at it as well within our Magnify team, but sexuality, what does it mean to embrace your sexuality? As you say, that's the way that we've been created to desire sex, but within the right context. Um, And I think for women, it's a dangerous trend that we're moving towards where we feel that owning our sexuality means kind of flaunting it and displaying your body all the time because actually that plays into the narrative that advertisers and brands want. Um, And I think, yeah, it's important to recognise what we're being sold. And actually that... It's all about wanting to be desired by men um, rather than being known and rather be, rather than being 
um, rather than knowing that you are loved um, and treasured by God and that should be kind of your main focus. So, yeah, that's kind of what I've seen within my friendship group, but also observing media and what's kind of going on. The beautiful thing about God's grace and healing and restoration is that you can make the decision at any moment in time to go, wait a minute, I've been doing this wrong. I want to do this right. Repent means to turn from your sin and he cleanses you. You know what I mean? And then you're clothed in white and you're a bride. Now that's a paradigm I really like. You know what I mean? And and I, I, I remember them kind of being like, you're doing what? You're, you're, you and your husband, you know, my husband and I courted for four years before we got married. One of those years was really because it, it took me, you know, it's sort of like it took me a year to actually shed a lot of the preconceived ideas I had from the world to prepare to be married, to be in partnership with someone. I'm going to go out here. When we were speaking the other night, my, my niece actually had an a couple of really interesting comments, and I referenced them earlier, and I am going to come over here um, because Ruth is in her 20s. My niece, Elise, just finished her first year of college at UCLA. This is Summer. This is Elise. And um, they're my two brothers' daughters, everybody. And um, I remember when we were at lunch that day when we were actually getting passports and what have you, and I asked Elise how her freshman year went and how everything went with her um, roommates, so how was your freshman year and how was it with your roommates? Is your experience, you know, what Ruth was saying kind of made me think about you. Um, yeah, it was very eye-opening. My roommate, um, she's very big on social media and very into the whole, you know, Instagram and things. But on her social media, she would post pictures of herself like half naked and like, you know, in bikinis, but just everything was out. So she would get multiple messages from guys and she got a message from one guy and um, they ended up going out one night and meeting and she had, they'd been talking, texting and she had really, really liked the guy but I kind of knew from the moment that he messaged her that he didn't really like her. He kind of just, you know, was looking for the end result. She ended up staying at his house and sleeping with him. Before that, they were talking and texting and then after she had slept with him, he stopped texting her. She just kind of was heartbroken and just you could see the total, you know, deflation in her emotion, and she was so sad. And I think, unfortunately, to get over the sadness, um, his friend <laughs> messaged her on Instagram, and she had ended up going out with his best friend and sleeping with his best friend to get over the sadness. So it was kind of like this reoccurring cycle of just not really knowing what her worth was and what her value was, and she was just completely lost. And so. I don't even think she had equated her worth to what guys thought of her. And that's why she had, you know, posted all these things on Instagram because she yeah. found what her value was in, you know, how guys looked at her and how yeah. appealing she could be to the opposite yeah. sex. Yeah. Summer said something. I, I, I said, well, why do we, you know, last night we were dialoguing. And I said, why do we, why do we long? you know, for love and for things outside of God so much. And I thought, and you made a great comment. Well, I just think that girls my age that are having sex, they don't understand that it's supposed to be special and supposed to be deep. And so they just give it away. And especially like non-believers, they don't understand what God has to say about it. And so I was talking to this girl after school and she was like, Summer, when are you going to lose it? Da, da, da. She started like, she was like, you're going to wait until marriage. And she was laughing. And I was just like, wow, it's just amazing. Like, well, girls my age think about it. They just throw it around. They don't value it at all. And it's really damaging, actually. We're so ashamed 
to talk, I think, in the church about sex or pornography or these things. And, and my thing is, if, if, if stronger Christians didn't allow me to get this stuff out in the open, I would never have learned what I really was supposed to be acting like. So, I mean, how important is it to you and to the youth that you're dealing with that you actually are able to speak to them from a real perspective? Yeah. All the pastors of Bethel have all got very different backgrounds, so we all bring something different to the table. And I guess my one was to get rid of shame if you've had sexual relationships. And a lot of these students come into Bethel and, and also have had a bit of a wild past, some of them not. Very, all of, you know, they come around from all over the world, so we're dealing with quite a mixed bunch. Um, I think the, the big thing when pastoring and counselling these people through it is, I'm not scared of your mess. I'm really not, because God's so much bigger. And so I think what, what has happened in the past is that churches can get so overwhelmed by the mess, or we sweep it under the carpet, or we essentially outcast them so slowly but surely, and we become a little bit hostile because we don't know how to deal with it. Whereas if I've got people coming in with porn addictions or, um, you know, sexual relationships that have continued, then we need to really go, okay, I'm actually, I mean, it's a bit of a controversial thing, but I won't immediately go, well, you've got to stop. I'll actually go, okay, can you talk to me about what, what was happening to you five minutes before you clicked online? And normally what you'll work out is that they felt alone, they felt unknown, and no, they'd fallen out with someone or they felt some disconnection in some way. So that, for me, is the part of, like, okay, now we're starting to get to the triggers. As, as long as I'm not being thrown by the mess, I can actually start to work out what the triggers are and actually introduce into some positive triggers. Yeah. It takes me back to AA speak, and I don't know if any of you really know. But, I mean, it really, you know, how are you feeling? Irritable, restless, and discontent. Uh-oh. That's a sure sign that the mind has gotten idle and the devil's playground is about to get occupied by all kinds of demonic activity, you know, for lack of a better way of putting it. But it's really, I mean, it really is, it's true. Although, you know, AA was founded on godly principles anyway, right? Since my husband is in the audience, he said, yeah, he, he, he said... Hi, husband. I know I made him sit out here with all, with all the women. He has the misfortune of being married to me on a, on a set like this. But last night, you know, he was speaking to my nieces. And um, Steve and, and Marguerite, my sister-in-law, Lisa's parents, are they've been married since birth, you know. And But it's important to me to show them what a godly home looks like, you know, because my parents were divorced by the time I was 13. And my mom... My mom did the best that she could. Her idea of raising me, though, in the Lord was sending me to Catholic school, which was awesome because at least, I, you know, I, I did have a, a, a belief foundation set, you know, but she didn't know a lot of things. And my husband was saying um, to the girls why he fell in, what he found beautiful about me. And I, I, I actually found myself listening because I really, I don't know if I knew. So we, we, just, we share, because I think it's, I always think that it's really powerful, and you know this, for women to hear from men. Yes, right? On, the, on topics like this. Well, before we were dating, before Cynthia and I uh, started dating, we were just friends. So we were friends for months. And, uh, and there was this moment where we prayed together. And, uh, well, actually before that, when I, when I first met you, she was talking about her son and her just natural love for her child. And I had met so many women who marginalized their children uh, to try and live according to the world's pattern. And uh, in fact, almost every woman that I had ever met, to be honest with you, in some way didn't have a natural love for her children. 
And when Cynthia talked about her love for her son, I could tell it was, it was how God loved me, you know, how much he adored me. And I just sat there and thought, now this is a woman who actually loves her children. She would do anything for her child. And then later, that was actually the day I met her. Months later, um, that we were talking and we ended up praying. And when she prayed, and she was a mess. But anyway, when she prayed, though, her heart was so after Jesus. It was, it was one of these things where she just was pouring out her heart to the Lord. And uh, to be honest with you, I met many women who really did that either. Um, they were Christians, but they weren't really hot after God like that, or they didn't really want him, you know, mm-hmm. or him to even show up. They wanted God to do everything for them. I mean, right. every woman I ever met was wine me, dine me, take me to the mall. You know, uh, <laughs> and now, I don't so, mind wine and dinner in the mall. Yeah. It says. <laughs> Nobody does. It's just, that's not my point. And, you know, if there's something far more important to a person it becomes very attractive. I wasn't even thinking about dating her, but it did put it in my mind, there are actually women out there that love their children and love God. And most women probably don't realize that to a man who wants to serve Jesus, that's probably the most attractive thing that you could possibly find. You know, guys don't have this, like, uh, ruler of beauty that they pick women by. Uh, she's got to be a 9.7 or something. It, it, it's not it, you know, any more than women uh, do that, too. I mean, some do. But for the most part, you're trying to find somebody that you're compatible with and you could fall in love with forever. And uh, little did I know at that moment that Cynthia was going to be that one. But that's what how it turned out. So. It's empowering, you know, for all of us to actually understand that it, it, it really is your love of the Lord that makes you beautiful. I just kind of thought that, you know, as we do sort of finish uh, today, we should maybe just take a minute. And uh, there's a song I love, I love, I love called Dark But Lovely. And um, to me, it really ministers about God's grace and healing and restoration. So if you haven't valued yourself the way that you know that you should, his love can actually heal your self-image by introducing you not only to the truth about your beauty, But when it comes to sex, he loves us so much that he says in 2 Corinthians that, and, you know, let me preface that by saying the Corinthians were a hot mess. They were a hot mess. If you you know your Bible history, they were a hot mess. I mean, you know, Paul said they were going to prostitutes and one guy was sleeping with his stepmother. It It was way out. But Paul said to them, for I am jealous with God's jealousy for you. I promised you to one husband, to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Mm -hmm. And I just, I love that. And at at some point or another, I know that we've all been seduced by our ideas of beauty and sex, but he loved us and he pursued us anyway. So um, I just want to kind of close by saying you are beautiful, you know, and though we are dark, he definitely calls us lovely. And, and you guys are gorgeous. I just want to be your, I'm going to be your PR agents. (laughs) I'm like, I think I have five or six husbands for both of you to choose from. Give me their numbers. I'm like, can you believe, I mean, mean, whoever's single just needs, you just need to write your name down today. (laughs) Thank you guys for joining us. It's been an awesome day talking beauty and sex and what God thinks about all of it. Remember, we are not just another talk show. This is a walk show. Thanks for watching the London Sessions. I'm Cynthia Garrett. We'll see you next time.
Hello, my name is Adam Comer. And I'm Ryan Chittister. And we're the host of Life After Addiction Podcast. If you or someone you love struggles with addiction, check us out, Life After Addiction Podcast, and you can subscribe at lifeaudio.com.